the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Planted with Sarah Pion. I'm Sarah Pion, your host. And today we have Kima Ogden, who is the co-owner of Top Notch, the health center in Las Vegas. Las Vegas? Yes, Las Vegas. I'm going all over the place today. And one of the amazing things is that she is Nevada's first African-American woman dispensary owner. And she does a lot around policy and just getting really active with making cannabis exactly what it should be, which is equal opportunity for everybody talking about people who have been impacted on the war on drugs and creating equity. I'm just really excited, Kima, to have you on the show because it's all hands on deck to create a healthier cannabis industry and to make it what it should be. Access for everybody. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'll start with a question that I, I ask all my guests. What was your first cannabis experience? Um, well, I'm going to be honest. I, I really didn't partake in cannabis. Um, I wasn't, you know, I was occasional here or there, you know, like most people, you know, you go to a little social gathering, um, and you partake here or there. Um, you know, ironically, my dad, um, when I was younger, he was a drug and alcohol counselor. Um, he no longer does that now, but he was. And so I grew up um, really just anti-drugs, um, you know, kind of misled with the, with the information at that time, like most people were. Um, and, you know, they were taught back then that cannabis was a gateway drug. And so I really just stayed away from all things for the most part. Um, it wasn't until I became a patient myself or started, you know, really looking into cannabis as a plant and what it does to help people. Um, when I had family members that had cancer and, um, you know, just different family members with, with extreme pain from different, um, for different reasons. And I started really looking into it um, on an educational side and just learning about it. And then um, my, I, I, I became a patient myself um, using edibles to help me sleep and things like that. Um, and it changed my life once I learned what it can do and then tried it and it helped me. So that's really how I kind of came into it. But I'm, you know, so I'm sorry if I'm not answering your question, but I didn't really have like just this one experience where, you know, I started becoming a user of the plant. Um, in a traditional sense, you know? Mm -hmm. No, I think that that's, that's a great answer. That's, I mean, we all come to it in our own way. And even, you know, I've interviewed people on the podcast, like I, it was in February, I had um, the former uh, head of the RNC, Michael Steele on the podcast. And he was talking about how he doesn't use it at all, but he understands because of the impact that it has on his friends and family, especially medicinally, why we need to work so hard to create policy to make it available to everyone. But then isn't it amazing how using it yourself when you need it as a patient really changes the way that you look at it and just, you know, some of the things that come out of it that you wouldn't get from traditional pharmaceuticals? Oh, 100%. Um, like I said, it totally changed 
um, everything for me. I, you know, um, just, you know, being someone in as an entrepreneur, having several companies and a lot of responsibility, um, you know, we, we tend to uh, wear stress differently. And I had no idea that this is a level of anxiety, you know, not sleeping at night, constantly thinking about work, not being able to shut your mind down or relax and things like that. And um, I went like two weeks without really sleeping. And then I started, um, you know, and then obviously, you know, I've already done research. I started learning about the industry, um, started, I got in the industry. And then of course I had access to these products. Um, and I then tried, um, started testing different tinctures and edibles at night and things like that. And it just changed everything for me. Um, uh, and I knew then as well, I already knew what it did for other people, but yes, you're right. Once you, once it affects you personally, um, I fight for it hard. I know what it does for people. It really helped me. Um, and I, I thank God for it. <laughs> so, yeah, I hear yeah. that. I hear that. I, I, when I was younger, I, I used it, I guess, you know, I always, I'm one of those people that's like, is there recreational use? Because as human beings, we're constantly striving towards homeostasis. So it feels like most of the time when people are using cannabis, at least in a way that's, um, uh, you know, that works for them that actually helps them thrive is, is actually very medicinal in its use. But I didn't really get it till I had cancer in my late thirties and I used it then. And I was like, Oh, Oh, now I get it. Okay. Before I was using it just to chill out and now I'm using it for all these other things. And then when you kind of go down, you know, that rabbit hole and you realize there are all these different ways to use it for all these different times or needs and it's just way more than we ever thought about it like back in the day when I'd have that friend that would show up with a few bags of buds didn't know exactly what they were but would be like well smell it I know the name of it I don't know what it does you know see what you like <laughs> right you know that didn't always turn out well <laughs> no, um, no, I'm just glad that, you know, I was able to kind of turn from the negative connotation that they put on cannabis when it, you know, the gateway drug, the all those things, um, you know, uh, that I was told and taught and, uh, and, and turn that around. And then my, my father, who, like I said, when he came from that old school um, training, um, it turned him around. When it started turning people around that were, you know, really led in the wrong direction with the wrong information early on, I just knew then, I'm like, this is the right, this is the right industry for me. This is the right thing to do is to push this for people and, and you know, advocate for people. Um, you know, I knew I was on the right path. So it, it's just great to have that change over because I was on the whole other side of this. You know, and um, if I can turn myself around and people around me that kind of were in that same space because you know the science behind it and what it actually does to help people is even more reason to fight for it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. How, how, what did it take to, to change your dad's mind and how did he feel about you getting into the industry? You know, it's, it's funny because um, when I started get, looking into the industry, I started kind of dabbling and trying to get into it. Um, he, I was really afraid to tell him it was, I was like, Oh God, he's going to think, you know, like, cause at that time I was one of the first, 
Um, and it was really still, I mean, you know, I'm talking about 2014, you know, um, when cannabis, I think at that time, uh, we were like the eighth state, you know, to go online. Um, and still people, you know, there was, there's no information out there. Um, it's still looked at and frowned upon. You know, a lot of people don't, didn't want to touch the plant because of the federal status of it and all of that. And so, um, so you're still dealing with a lot of negativity at that time. Um, and so I was afraid to tell him um, this. I was real nervous about it. And um, little did I know he was doing his own research and, and paying attention. Um, so I just ran it past him one day. I was like, hey, so, you know, hey, dad, how's it going? Uh, you know, what do you think <laughs> about this industry? And, you know, like, and he was like, man, I wish I could get into that. You know, it really looks like it helps people. It's different. And I was like, wow, that, that was a great relief. I knew that, you know, um, he was paying attention. And, and then ever since then, I started educating him more and more, just like I was doing myself. And now we um, are complete advocates for it. Um, and my dad was a recovering addict, which is why he um, went into counseling and changed his life and turned it around. But, um, you know, those things are deep, deeply embedded, like it's a gateway drug, you know, all of that. So for him to make that turn and really advocate for it, for people to be able to use it, um, it really inspired me to keep pushing, you know, so that was my experience with that. Yeah. Well, I, as a professional in that field, I'm wondering if, you know, if looking at it, if he's looking at it from like a harm reduction standpoint, like how many times like people who have had bad relationships with other substances have actually been able to use cannabis to ease a transition back into a more balanced life. Right. Well, yeah, you know, now there's studies that show it's a gate, it's a um, exit drug. Yeah. And so people use it to wing off and, and there's clinics that pop up just for that. Um, and so, no, it's, it's amazing, you know, like I said, and, and it's great that when people, especially the older generation, and I'm not so young myself, but, but the older generation, the, the reefer madness generation, you know, <laughs> like they can turn and, and, and learn and be open and, and, you know, start accepting the real facts, um, you know, that's even more the reason, like I said, to, to keep fighting, you know, that you're, you're doing the right thing. Yeah, for sure. That's one thing that I've noticed with, um, with seniors and cannabis, especially like, you know, as we get older, it's like, a a dear friend of mine always says it's, you know, getting older isn't for the weak because we have all sorts of things going on. But, you know, one thing that I noticed talking to people that were of a certain age, when they would start working with cannabis to help with symptom management and things, the aches and pains and things that we start to encounter more and more as we get older, was that they were really upset that the stigma kept them from something that was actually giving them relief, especially for things like neuropathy, because you've got like, you know, gabapentin and all these things that work for some people. Like I, I have peripheral neuropathy left over from chemo and gabapentin just makes me a bitch. <laughs> it doesn't right. work. You right. know? Mm-hmm. But using like something like a one-to-one ratio CBD to THC really, you know, helps me. It doesn't get rid of the numbness, but it gets rid of the burning and the pain. And I had a, a woman who was a senior come in with her, with her son, and she had, her doctor had told her to come in. And she was really, you know, not into it. And she didn't want to get high. 
And I ended up sending her home with an 18 to 1, you know, baby steps. And I had told her, you know, you, you might find that it helps you with your anxiety as well. And she's like, I'm not anxious. And, and you know how we know our parents sometimes better than they know themselves. And her son's looking at her and saying, oh, yeah, you've got anxiety. And then she, she calls me several days later and is like, there's my girl. And I was like, wow, what's changed? And she's like, you know, for the first time, I'm not having issues with my neuropathy after, you know, all those years after breast cancer treatment. And I found out that I am a little anxious. Kind of like what you were mentioning, that you don't realize yeah. like what you're holding in your body. And she was, I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, be honest with you. And it's funny because I'm always so, I've been fighting and, and these, you know, like, doing business for a long time and you know it's funny because someone's like oh you're probably just stressed you're probably anxiety i'm like i'm not i don't have anxiety I, I was like i take on decepticons every day all the time like i don't stress like that like what are you talking about no and sure enough i took a little bit of that a little cbd and thc uh you know um and slept like a baby i'm like damn i guess i was i you know, but like you said, you just wear it different. You don't know, you don't realize it, especially when you're used to being so strong and tough. Yeah. Um, and handling so much um, weight on your shoulders, and and you handle it, you know, you've handled it for years, and then suddenly, you know, um, you know, you uh, you you realize, like, man, I guess that is a level of anxiety I never would have thought. But and then we also don't want to accept that that we can have a weakness. You know, when we're so used to being tough and strong and fighting and going through, um, you know, and you have to be like that in my in this industry and in the industries I've been in prior, you know, you have to be tough, you know, yeah. you have to be all of those things. Um, and so it, it kind of messes with you like, oh, well, damn, I guess I'm not as tough, but you are. You just sometimes you need a little bit of help. Sometimes you need some medication sometimes. And, and what better than something that's natural and that's not going to hurt your body? Right. And um, so all day long, um, you know, I'll, I'll advocate for it, for people, for what it does. You know, yeah. I just know. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely can relate to that. Well, and I think, too, as women, it's like we we navigate the world, as especially those of us who are, you know, really getting things done. It's like we feel like we can't show that weakness. And you just kind of gird your loins and you kind of lose touch with what's going on with your body because you're like, the show must go on. Let's get it done. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. What, what, when did you get into the industry and what was it that inspired you to do it? Well, at the, at the time I owned a gym. Um, so I was always into health and wellness. I had 2007, um, 2008 area frame. I opened a, a gym. Um, I also started a nonprofit with health and wellness programs for underserved populations. So I would bring people into the gym and do free programs for them as well. And, um, and part of that was education. And, you know, I always had this mantra, like happy, healthy body, healthy mind. I, you know, I knew it was a full circle and, um, you know, when, um, cannabis started coming up, once again, I had family members that had cancer dealt with extreme, health conditions and cannabis helped them. Um, and so I started looking into it and researching it. And I didn't even, to be honest, I had no idea that it was coming to Nevada. I didn't know what was happening in that sense. Mm -hmm. I just knew that this helped people and I wanted to learn more about it. And I started to do a lot of research and then I realized, you know, oh, sh you know, they're coming, this is coming online here. 
Um, and, and that's when I dug deeper and, um, it was just a fit. It just, it was a natural transition, um, to what I was already doing, what I was already passionate about and, um, and, you know, exercise and all that. It's all holistic care. Mm -hmm. Um, so I knew that this was another level of holistic care that needed to be kind of an option for people, especially if you have passion and you care about the community as a whole. Um, so it was just a no brainer for me. Um, and then on a business sense, I also, you know, was familiar with, um, a membership cause at that time, you know, it was medical and the structure that they wanted in that industry was, um, for medical was like, you know, membership type, you know, re, um, residual income, like people constantly coming back, like, you know, the, the, the system was familiar to me with a gym, you know, I felt like it was very similar, you know, um, in that sense. So, um, it was just, you know, a no brainer putting all piece, all the pieces together, knowing that if this is what fits, um, and, and that's how I started getting into it. That's awesome. I really appreciate your holistic approach because not everybody looks at it that way. There's a lot of people who approach it from a formula retail perspective, which doesn't really serve the people and create free access because we, we have to have these deeper discussions about, you know, what's going on and have, you know, people working with us that are educated enough to, you know, create the proper messaging so that people can figure out what works well for them. No, absolutely. Um, I'm all for it. I still advocate for patience. I think it's very important to always keep it in mind and educate people that this is medical. I don't care if you are using it recreationally. Um, you're using it recreationally for something that probably helps you like to relax or to unwind and or whatever that you might think is minimal, but it still is medical. And if we keep that in our mind um, and look at and approach this plant as, hey, it really is medical, whether you use it that way or not, we're all patients. Um, I think that it really helps stay focused on on the overall goal of what this does. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's, you know, it's, it was fascinating watching what was going on in Nevada. Actually, in 2014, I met with Dina Titus to give her an educational walkthrough here in California about like what, what people are using and what they're using it for. And I remember pulling out the jars of flowers and watching her eyes. <laughs> Yeah, because, I can only imagine. You know, and I was like, take all this good information back with you. Get it going. But um, just like the the amazing strides that, that Vegas and Nevada has had in cannabis. And it'll be really interesting to see, like, I, the thing fascinates me the most is, you know, when the casinos start to embrace it more. I'm wondering what that's going to look like or if that's going to happen. Yeah, I don't know. You know, they, they're, they're sticking to their guns right now, you know. Um, I think maybe eventually when the lounges roll out and they give it a couple of years to see how they may be losing money, um, you know, that's the biggest thing, losing money. They just don't want to lose any money. They don't want to lose, you know, potential gamblers and, and people um, partaking in their entertainment and restaurants and all that stuff. So, so once that starts happening, I think they, they'll start looking at it. But until then, they're fighting against it still, yeah. not being on the strip and things like that. So it will be interesting. Um, I think when it federally changes as well, um, then they'll maybe take a different different approach. Yeah, yeah. That, it, that's, that's just an interesting one to watch. It's, 
that will be like where we're really getting into the land of normalization when we have big companies like that saying, you know, maybe having like a smoking area or like what we're seeing in um, like in Arizona where they're starting to have hotels that are catering to that, which I think is 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 super cool because, you know, nobody likes to have to take a walk around a block in a place that they're not familiar with to be able to have a quick puff if, if that's what they do to use their cannabis. Um, when you have been, you know, you've seen a lot and you've been in this for a minute, what have been some of the significant challenges that you've encountered? Uh, the challenges in, in, in business, you're in operations kind of thing, or just getting in the industry? All of it, really, whatever you want to talk about, because it's all good. Yeah, because there's challenges on every level. Um, and they're, 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 you know, challenges that you would never experience in any of the industry on every level. So um, I can talk for days on this topic, but um, <laughs> maybe but, what you know, are some of your, your favorite problems? um i think you know one you know of course getting in the industry is is extremely challenging um you know what it takes and what you need to have um so that's why you know it's important to kind of have a lot of those discussions on um barrier to entry um and how we can um you know, uh, make that not an issue for people who deserve to be in the industry, or at least an option to to try to um, to have a business in the industry, and not just owning cannabis dispensaries um, or cultivations, but other other areas of interest in in this industry. Um, so, you know, I I think that you know I think the barrier to entry is a big obstacle for people it was for me even and I had all the I checked all the boxes and still um you know you have to have a sprinkle of luck and you know it's like this big pot of formula um that it's you know it's very difficult but that that was um a surprising wake-up call right there you know just trying to get in how much money it actually takes and things you don't expect um you know the you know, they tell you um, if you uh, are trying to get into a business to have, you know, double the amount of money you think it costs. But in this industry, it's like, you know, five times that because you'll deal with legal fees and um, consultant fees or, um, you know, application stuff and or, you know, rent that you're not even in a building for, you know, all these different components of being of just applying for this that the expenses are unreal um and then once you get it, it let's say you do get in the industry and you get a license and then there's lawsuits you have to sit on it and sit on your lease and sit on expenses and constantly pay attorneys to get updates and you might even have to enter a fight yourself because of it so there's a lot of that that is um you know, people don't have any idea that that's a part of it. You think you just can get in a, a business and that should be it, but it really isn't. Um, so that part was very surprising. That was one of the biggest challenges I had, you know, trying to get in is all is um, really just circling around a lot of those things you don't even know of or expect. Um, and then once you're in, you know, the compliance issues um, you know, all the regulations and things. And as you know, Nevada, they did a great job, you know, rolling this out. 
um, but as far as um, setting a structure in place and, and things like that, but we are super um, regulated, you know, that's, you know, one of the reasons why a lot of states came here is like, let's look in Nevada and see how they did this, but we're so regulated, it's hard to make money in this industry um, when you have all these regulations and then of course the obstacles of all the taxes and not being federally legalized. So, you know, you have more, you can't write off expenses. Yeah. So all of those things are obstacles and it's different, like I said, um, it, there's different times for all these barriers. There's different times for all these challenges from the beginning all the way through. You just have to, to me, I think, um, you know, to encourage your listeners, you know, just make sure you have a, you're really educated. You have a really great team around you. You have a great team of people you work with and have plenty of, of resources um, because you're going to need it um, depending on what area you're trying to get into. Um, so you know, that's, uh, that's pretty much uh, kind of everything as a whole in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a challenge. People don't understand, like, what, what people take on when they get into it. And, and I mean, quite honestly, a lot of people end up not being able to do it at all. And they got financially wiped out because it is kind of like a doggy paddle where you're, you're, you're shedding money while you're waiting to get approval. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, you know, and that's what makes people, you know, this industry is very young, but people like myself, you know, we are the experts. We've been in, we've been doing this and fighting through this and, and people have been learning off of us, including the government. So, um, you know, that's one reason why I feel like it's important for me to go out there and talk about this um, and educate people and give them a little a leg up for things I didn't have a clue on. No one told me. I was, you know, one of the first. Like I said, everyone's sitting around watching me, you know, waiting to see if we're going to get arrested. So, you know, that's why I get on podcasts like yours. That's why I go out there and speak about this. I don't really, I don't get paid to do this. You know, it's really just me trying to go out there and give someone else the information that I never got. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's really important to do that work and and you know it's it's I'm just so grateful for people who are not only business owners but activists like yourself that are that are helping other people step into the space and be successful and when we are looking at success what are your, what are your thoughts on social equity well i mean my it's you know it's extremely necessary um it's a very difficult um to get the right system in place. I know that a lot of some states are coming online trying to include social equity, um, but there's you know always someone trying to navigate around or around that or manipulate it. Um, so it's it's tough, but it's necessary. Um, it's fair. There should be um, programs in place to help people get into the industry um, or to be a part of it. Um, indirectly however it needs to happen and so i think it's very important what are you seeing in nevada around activity around social equity and creating that well you know they the cannabis um nevada's cannabis compliance board um you know they uh developed a subcommittee for social inclusion uh social equity i'm sorry inclusion and diversity and 
you know, I was able to be on that subcommittee. Um, I'm an advisory member of that board as well. And I think it's important that they um, start putting people at the table, getting, um, you know, activists like myself, people who are involved in change and policy and, and the industry as well. They can speak on it. They experienced it. Um, they know firsthand what this takes. Um, so Nevada, um, although we still have a long way to go um, and in creating programs and, and uh, giving, you know, applying money and tax money to these programs and, and things of that nature, um, there's a lot, a long way to go. Yeah. But, you know, there's, they're at least starting that process by doing things like they've done and, and creating those subcommittees, putting people like myself in those committees to um, advise the board on the direction of social equity and inclusion. Yeah, yeah. When I was um, co-chair of the Legalization Task Force in San Francisco, and that was when we first started having the conversations about social equity, one of the things that kind of got to me was the initial conversations were about creating job opportunities. And I was like, well, that's all very well and good because not everybody wants to own a business, but what are we doing to help people start their businesses? And how do we close some of these loopholes that we know will happen when we set up the structure for our social equity programs? And we did see that. We saw people that, you know, had were social equity operators. They wanted to get going. There were larger companies that were like, well, we'll partner with you on it. And then that equity partner was ending up having a very small percentage or say in the business. And it seems like we're starting to kind of tighten up on that so that people aren't getting taken advantage of. But I still feel like the barrier to entry is still incredibly high. And um, it's just, you know, and people wonder why the traditional market's flourishing. It's like, well, you have these, you know, amazing cultivators and entrepreneurs that don't want to deal with this bullshit. Yeah, no, exactly. No, I think, um, I think you're absolutely correct. Um, you know, and once again, it's just, it's totally necessary, but it, it definitely has a lot of work still to be done in that, in that area to make sure that we get people not only, like I said, cause not everyone wants to, should be a business owner. Let's just keep it real. Right. So like, you know, you might be a good baker. Doesn't mean you should own a bakery. Um, you know, and that's another thing, but I think creating opportunity, also investing money into education of this industry in other areas, because, you know, there's other, there's every, every industry needs um, support businesses. Like, you know, uh, we all talk about all the different things that we need as a company um, to just be successful in our own dispensaries. And that's marketing and graphic design and websites and packaging. And there's so much other areas that people can get into that still are attached to the industry, but you don't have to go through the bullshit. So, you know, just educating people on those things as well and giving them the opportunity to, to see this as a whole. Yeah. Did you ever think you'd see the day where somebody or a young person would get excited about getting an education in supply chain management? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, but um, but the young people don't even know that, you know, to think outside the box that way. Um, you know, they only see what's in front of them and not what other what other areas can be an opportunity for them and be less risky. So um, I think just creating those type of programs and education and, 
and really, you know, opening it up um, will help. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like as we as we evolve, it's like we're getting the education more dialed in and getting people more set for success, not only with cannabis education, but, you know, business savvy and just really like, I see a lot of, especially in California here, there are a lot of really great activists that are, you know, working to, it's like somebody was saying that it's not the social equity doesn't work. It's that we have to, you know, make adjustments and have our voices heard and really get active so that it becomes what it needs to be. Um, but these people are also amazing mentors towards people who are getting in the industry. And I feel like the more more people who are involved and the more people who are active and also, you know, bringing up, you know, the point where we're talking to policymakers and saying, hey, you know, <laughs> we can't be forgotten. We vote. We We use cannabis. We contribute to society and we vote. So support us. Create, you know, better policies so that we're, you know, doing exactly what we said we were going to do, which was the legalization of cannabis was going to be a huge start in lowering incarcerations of folks. I absolutely, totally agree. So I was looking at your bio and I noticed that you are doing work with doctors for cannabis regulation. I'd like to hear more about that. Yeah, you know, um, I've been on that board since about 2017. Um, you know, um, Doctors for Cannabis Regulations is a global voice for physicians or health professionals or anyone just really that cares um, about cannabis. You don't have to be a medical professional, but it's, you know, from that perspective of education, advocacy efforts, um, you know, and um, through, you know, doctors and people in, in the medical field that can speak on this, you know, that really want to help improve public health and social justice and customer, you know, protection of the plant. And so we work to um, support a lot of organizations on um, cannabis pro prohibition um, and, and just legalizing and regulating this properly and making it safe to consume. Um, and so a lot of our efforts are talking to lawmakers and, and medical and organizations and, and really um, working together to try to make those, make those changes. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about, too, keeping people safe, creating safe product, testing really comes into play. Because I know, like, you know, one of one of the things is, like, you know, we talk about, oh, well, nobody's ever died from taking too much cannabis. But we have seen fatalities with adulterated products. We've also seen where, um, you know, people with a compromised immune system, if it's extreme, they can die from something as simple as a yeast infection. So if they're using product that's you know, has mold, mildew, or fungus in it that can be really impactful or even fatal for them. What are you seeing as far as testing standards in Nevada? And, and what would you, are there any things that you'd like to see improved upon or change? No, like I said, we're very, you know, because we're so highly regulated out here, um, you know, they, they were very adamant about everything going through testing labs and being very strict about that um, and and how they measure um, 
you know, the potency and how they measure and look at the uh, toxins and different things like that. So I think, you know, um, the testing is, like you said, is very important. Um, I feel like they do a pretty good job here in Nevada with that. Um, once again, sometimes we feel like we're overregulated. Um, if, if anything is slightly um, off and, and also in the industry, sometimes um, one lab, um, they had to kind of get this under wraps because one lab might test your product and have a different outcome mm -hmm. than another lab. And so they kind of had to go in and, and really um, focus on lab testing and, and get the, them straight. Once again, learning on your back because once when that happens, you get two different um, test results and you're spending a lot of money for this and it costs us money. And you don't know who's correct, and then you got to go and you know get rid of product that's not testing uh, appropriately. And in one lab it is, and one lab it is. So there is a big learning curve there too as well. Um, I, but like I said, I see things really um, moved in the right direction. Still, still working on it, but still moving in the right direction for for us. And as we've gone through this, you know, once again, um, we've just been through a lot of um, obstacles. Just people trying to get this system right um but un and unfortunately you know you you um the dispensary owners and people in the industry or cannabis or, or cultivation um owners you know we we suffer because they they're learning on you on your back but um but we see it all always constantly improving and and um they're always working on it look, looking at it so i'm thankful for that yeah i think they're gonna do it right. Well, it's it's an interesting thing. That's whenever you know somebody will ask what I what I like about my work the most, especially as an educator. It's um, you know, it's 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 a it can be a hardship, but it's also an an exciting thing in a way is that we are constantly learning. Like there's, you're never you know if if somebody ever refers to me as an expert, I'm like there are no experts. Like we're right. we're constantly like learning things and being disproved on things that we thought were truths before, and I think that that's it's a really invigorating and fascinating part of our work. And I just, I, I love that. And I'm really excited to see like when we actually like, what does standardized calibration of testing machines look like? What are we, I mean, how is that going to pan out? Um, but just that, you know, being on, on the forefront of what we're doing in, in the, the early years, because even though this has been going on for some time, it, in this grand scheme of things, it's been a very short blip on the timeline of, mm -hmm. you know, cannabis. And I just really, I wonder, like, what we're going to be seeing 20 years from now. And, and I'm sure it's going to, I'm sure it's going to take my breath away. Because when, when I started working, we weren't even talking about CBD back then, you know. <laughs> It was like right. when CBD products came on the market, we could barely give them away, even though those of us who are working, you know, in the dispensaries were like, oh, wow, it does this and this. And then people all of a sudden caught on to the wave and then you couldn't keep things in, you know, en like enough in because it was out because people still weren't, they're were still coming up to speed with like cultivation of CBD rich cultivars because it, the it just changed so quickly. Like the fluctuations that we have an in interest in the market are really fascinating. It's like there's, there'll be a hot cannabinoid and everybody will go towards that. And then people are like scrambling to make that happen. 
Um, but it's just like the trends and the different things that we're learning and the new products and, and uh, I don't know if you remember this, but like back in the day, like drinks were disgusting. <laughs> and yes. Now, and now they're yes. so wonderful. It's I know, right? Yeah. It's no, amazing. It's true. No, and it, and it, like you said, it evolves in dog years. Like I feel like, you know, like you said, um, 2014, 15, that's just right around the corner. But in that time frame, we've learned and grown and experienced and evolved so fast and quickly, you know, just, um, it will be, and I agree, 20 years from now, it's going to blow our minds. Um, you know, <laughs> when we look back at this, especially being some of the first people in here dealing with the, you know, the obstacles we had to and seeing all the changes, um, it's, it's going to be incredible, but you know, it's going to change dramatically too, when things, um, get descheduled or becomes federally legal. Um, and so I think it'll move a lot faster when that happens too. You'll see a lot of things changing and happening. So I, you know, it is, it's very interesting. It's really cool to be on the forefront of it all. Um, you know, and, and like you said, there's, we're, we maybe could be considered experts, but we are not at, we're still learning constantly. It's always evolving. Um, and I'm just glad to be a part of it. Well, and and to have a steady and informed voice like yours, you know, being able to talk to people and help direct them on the path to, you know, safe, successful business consumption, you know, we're looking at like, especially, you know, where you are, you get, you know, visitors from all over the world that you know, may not have access to it otherwise. And they're like, oh, let's, let's do it. And then you're, you're in Vegas and there's, I know I've been there. There's a lot of lights, a lot of activity. And, (laughs) you know, that can be a beautiful thing for somebody first trying cannabis and for somebody who maybe overshoots what they should have taken. It's like, even though you're safe, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's fun. And it's, that's got to be, I'm wondering like some of the, especially like, I, I love the fact that, you know, there are these conversations and there seems to be much more headway with like the consumption lounges in Nevada than there was before. Cause I remember seeing a lot of my colleagues lamenting about, you know, yeah, we've got it, but when people visit, where can they actually use it? It's, it's, it's really frustrating. So, you know, kudos to you to, with your work with policy and just creating that safe container for people to be able to, to have the conversations and also partake. Yeah, no, you know, um, yeah, we're definitely excited about the lounges as well. And but at the same time, like you said, it's still a lot of obstacles people, you know, have to overcome in that space, um, including um, not being able to be on the strip or near the strip. Um, And like you said, people come from all over here. Um, And one thing I can say about our location, we we really cater to locals. Um, That's our biggest you know that's who we serve we're not we're not anywhere near the strip um we really focus on 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 the, the community and so i feel like lounge wise we'll be you know really just doing the same we won't really have a business um plan that's focuses on any tourist 
at all. And that was one of the things we kind of stood away from. We didn't want to compete in that in, in that area. And it's worked for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I can see us doing the same thing for the lounge lounges, but we, we definitely, it, it will be interesting to see how that takes shape. Yeah. Well, when you were saying that, I, I was thinking about, you know, during the pandemic, you know, businesses that were more focused around locals, I think tended to thrive more than ones that were depending on tourist traffic. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, a lot of those, you know, I'm still the same original owners. Um, we are small. We, you know, we like to consider ourselves like the, the Trader Joe's or the cheers of the industry. You know, we, I love that. Um, yeah, we, we know everybody's name. We're a community like we, but, um, and we compete. We, we, you know, we're still one of the contenders out here in town, but we stayed very true to our focus. We were, we did not want to focus on one, one, um, you know, a, a consumer that comes in and pops in, in and you'll never see them again. Um, and so we, we really focused on that with everything we did, even including looking for a location um, and setting up shop. Um, and so, it, you know, once again, it worked for us. Um, we also stayed true and connected to the community. Um, we're probably the only original owners. Um, there's only a few, you know, original owners. Most of these companies have been bought out by big corporations, um, things like that. And they have, you know, or they've had, they have 15 to 20 different investors. So, you know, we, we kind of stay true to all of that um, and stay close to the ground focused on the patients as well, never lost sight of how this helps medically. And it really, to me, speaks to our success. Yeah, well, I mean, that's one thing that I think people who aren't immersed in it don't understand is what a personal and emotional thing cannabis is for people. And especially, like, you know, uh, for me, when I was working in a dispensary, um, you know, there were some people who were really critically ill and we were basically their community and the only interaction that they really had with the outside world was would be when they came to see us. And we were in many ways, you know, their community, your the support system, I used to say, you know, being behind the bar is like being like, you know, part therapist and, you know, to a certain extent, almost pharmacist. You're trying to like, you're making recommendations, but you're not you're not practicing medicine, but people are looking to you for advice. And it's like, how do you, how do you hold space for somebody who might be coming in on the worst day of their lives? Um, and, and being that, you know, support for them. We, we would always, when I would do trainings with staff, we'd always have really real conversations about compassion burnout. You know, it can be really Mm -hmm. hard. And you, when you have regular community members coming in, like regulars, it's like you, you have this emotional attachment to them. And especially when people are critically ill and like for me, I run a compassion program, getting free medicine to the critically ill. And every time you don't, it never gets easier when somebody dies. Right. No, um, no, I, I agree. And we, um, we as well do compassion type programs. That's awesome. You know, I have a, a, I do, I have a medical clinic, a nonprofit medical clinic, um, and we help the, um, underinsured, um, population, um, and, uh, underserved population with, uh, not only, um, primary medical care, but also, um, now behavioral health and substance abuse, um, and, 
you know, it's, it's amazing when you see, you know, all these things helping people and ha them having these options. Um, and like you said, when they would come into the dispensary and you know that they can now stop taking their anti-anxiety medication because, um, you know, they, they are now on cannabis and things and this really saved them or changed them or someone coming in, they used to limp and now they don't. I mean, it really does something to you to be able to see that change and be a part of it. So it does, like you said, there's burnout, there's compassion, you know, burnout. Like we get that all the time um, in our workplace as far as like wellness of our own employees because you're so invested in people's personal journey um, and, and helping them. Um, you know, to me, I, I come from a nonprofit space as well, and you have to really care um, to be in that space because, as we all know, there's no money in nonprofit. You, you, it's true. You do this for money. Um, and so, to me, the right mentality, I know that this is not, you know, the right mentality for most people, but because um, most people get into the cannabis space just for the money. Um, but really, if you keep that true compassion piece in your in your mind and look at it like that, like I do um, look at my nonprofit work, um, it truly does, um, you know, it changes lives, it helps people like and you fight harder for that, because the money will come if you have the true intentions and of what this does and how it helps and, and connecting to those people and staying staying connected and to the compassion of what this does to the people um, and how it helps. So I, I just feel like taking that approach has always worked for us um, and me, myself personally. Um, and, you know, you, you, you help the community, you support them, and they're going to support you back. And that's kind of been our formula. I feel like it's a it's an opportunity to change the way we do business. I mean, we have, like you said, there are a lot of people that are coming into it looking at just the revenue portion of it. But that's kind of soulless. I mean, that's that isn't that isn't what creates a successful environment. And I think there are a lot of people that are still involved, like yourself, who have not forgotten the heart of why it is that you're doing what you're doing. And I think um, the community using, you know, your revenue for community support and doing all this stuff is is a recipe for abundance in the long run. If we're looking at the long game and supporting our communities and giving back. It it only comes back to us. And that's not the reason we do it, but it's also what makes it sustainable. When we're looking at the medical side, and this is the one thing that always I, it, it interests me and irritates me. You know, they say, oh, we have recreational now, or I, as I like to refer to as adult use. You know, there's no need for medical. Medical's going away. But the one thing that I noticed when we went into legalization here in California was that people were, it wasn't a free-for-all. It wasn't like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with getting high, and people do that for the enjoyment of the act itself and the feeling. But what I saw was that more people we're actually coming in and saying, hey, you know, now I don't have to talk to my doctor and have that awkward conversation. I'd like to see what it does for sleep because I have a friend who's helped, that's helped them or I'm feeling stressed out and I need something, you know, to help me with that. And New York, it looks like mm -hmm. they're trying to get it so that insurance will cover medical cannabis. And that made me feel very hopeful that we can use that to influence other states so that not only will the conversation on medical cannabis and supporting the patients not go away because it can't, it's super important, but maybe 
we'll be able to create better access through pressuring the insurance companies to actually support it. I know like in the Netherlands years ago, they had their, some of their insurance programs did cover medical cannabis. And just a few years ago, they changed that, which worried me because, you know, you see these trends in other countries and you wonder what's going to bleed over to ours. But New York's work around that gives me hope that, you know, of course, I think the compassion programs not only should still exist, but they should grow. We should be seeing those in every state because getting sick is incredibly expensive. And if you've been sick for a really long time, it's it's debilitating in itself, not only emotionally, but to not be able to get what you need. But to think about maybe having that and also people not having to worry so much about affording what it is that they need to use to create relief instead of having to turn to a pharmaceutical that has harmful side effects for them. I just makes me so incredibly happy. And it's when I hear that, I'm like, what can I do to help? What can I do to like make sure that we push this through and, and influence, (laughs) or as I like to say, guilt, you know, policymakers into actually looking at this and doing something about it. Yeah, I same here. And um, I'd like to see um, more people looking at pharmacists and pharmacies, like, and how they can um, you know, engage in helping patients, um, you know, not necessarily dispensing there or anything, but, you know, you know, it being more like a prescription and, and also, you know, insurance companies covering this, um, and things like that. Um, I'm not going to say that pharmaceutical um, medication is unnecessary. It definitely is. Oh, absolutely. Need pharmaceutical, uh, drugs for different diseases and things like do not get off of that if you need it. It's saving your life. But they need the options because um, cannabis can do so many things. It can help and alleviate some of that. And, and the sooner insurance companies and things get involved in that, um, you know, and, and kind of gr- grasp onto that concept, it, you know, uh, it saves money in the long run. It saves the money eventually. You know, if you if, if someone can't, can't sleep and, and you can take something natural that'll help you sleep that won't cause more uh, health issues down the line that insurance has to cover for later, um, you would think it's a no-brainer. So hopefully eventually they, they kind of all get on board. Um, but once again, I think all these conversations will be even more important when it um, hopefully gets, uh, you know, federally legalized na- um, across the nation. Yeah, I really, I really, I I really appreciate your balanced approach to it because you're, you're right. There is, like, even though I was saying, you know, sometimes people, it, it, they are able to not use pharmaceuticals that have some harmful side effects. It is really essential that we have the conversation that cannabis isn't the panacea that a lot of people would like to push it forward as we still need traditional allopathic medicine and pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. to for our health and our well-being. Um, oh, Kima, we just... We just almost went to an hour. <laughs> Man, right? I feel like I was talking to my like, best friend in the, on the phone call. Like, this was so natural. So I thank you for that. <laughs> but, um, I'm really, you know, I'm just flew. Yeah, I, I love our conversation. And I feel like we have, I feel like we have future conversations. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> right. Or are we are we like, we 
been having them. So I thank you for that. Um, it just was a very natural flow. Um, My pleasure. It, it's always so wonderful to talk to inspiring women like you in the industry. And we, there, I had so many more questions for you, but be, before we, we wrap it up, what, what are you excited about in your work and in the industry for the future? And then after that, I, 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 well, I'll ask you the, the last question after you answer that. Okay. Yeah, no, I, you know, I am excited about the lounges and what that can do um, because that is going to help the barrier to entry for some people. Um, I, I'm hopeful that with this, you know, I'm a little disappointed that things haven't moved further along with this administration, um, you know, uh, so I'm hopeful that going forward, as new elections come around and we can start looking at, um, you know, changes uh, legislatively um, and, and get this moving along, um, you know, with more legalization and, and uh, federal changes and banking access and things like that. Um, but I am looking forward as well to, like, I'm excited about the social equity components and in, in different states that are starting to really look at that piece and know it's important and not just be lip service um, that we've seen in the past. So those things excite me and what, you know, could, could be the outcome of those um, changes. Are there any projects in the future that you wanted to share with our listeners? Well, we, you know, I think once again, as we're trying to look at the lounges for ourselves um, and what we want to do in that space, um, that's a project that we're kind of um, gearing ourselves up for. But we also have other licenses here in town that we're trying to get open um, with other partners um, as well. So I would, I'm excited about that. And people, you know, if they want to learn more about what I'm doing, um, they can go to kemaogden.com. Um, I, I have a website just so that I can keep people updated with different, um, you know, things that I'm speaking about, different projects I'm working on, um, how to support the organizations I'm involved in, things like that. And so um, anyone interested can go to that website. Are there ways to follow you on social media? Yeah, same. Um, my handle Instagram is Kima Ogden, at Kima Ogden on um, Facebook as well. So yeah, please, please um, follow along and, and support the organizations and the people out there really trying to fight for this so that other people can be involved in, in, in it's a fair industry. Kima, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. You, the work that you're doing is so incredibly impactful, um, especially being a leader in this space as a woman, as a black woman, as somebody who's fighting for not only, you know, safe access um, through for your patients, but also, you know, safe access and entry for entrepreneurs getting into the space. We, we need to clone you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. I wish I could. I wish I had a whole bunch of, of me's just so I can do more. Like I, you know, I feel like I, there's so many people out there doing so much good work. Um, you know, I just tell your listeners, like, please support them, um, you know, so that you don't have to be in those streets fighting for this, but support them so that they can, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I look forward to our future conversations. You're, you're just, 
you know, you're a delight to talk to and you're just so I I totally got educated. And then that's that's what it's all about, really, like sharing information and learning from one another. And you know, for those of you out there, please follow Kima on social media, check out her website, see what's going on, get involved, even if you don't want to be on the ground floor. There are so many ways that you can get involved. It's time for our policymakers to understand that their views of people who use cannabis are outdated and don't serve them or their careers. It's time to let people know that you're a member of society, you give back, you're engaged, you use cannabis, and you vote. Please do that. Remember, Planted is twice a month. You can follow us on social media. We are Planted with Sarah Pion on Facebook. We are Planted with Sarah on Instagram and Twitter. You can listen to this podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We are on Apple, Amazon, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pandora, Spotify. And if you like an episode or you're liking all the episodes, which is what I hope, you know, share them with a friend and go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you're liking, what you'd like to see, because this is for you. So until next time, it's a crazy world out there. Be good to each other. Stay safe and stay curious. Until next time, Sarah Pion signing out.